We are in the book of 3 John. Some of you may be new. Um, my style of preaching is what is known as expository. Uh, expository is um, where we go verse by verse, phrase by phrase. Uh, most Many churches do what's called topical. They pick a topic, love, and they throw some Bible verses, and then they kind of discuss it. And we go verse by verse, phrase by phrase, typically. That's expository. The, it's, it's a great way to understand the overall narrative of the story. The problem is, with expository, is if for whatever reason you're coming into the middle of a, a sermon series, it's like showing up to a movie an hour late. That being said, I'm going to do my best to kind of catch you up to speed. Kind of like when you're watching a TV show, and it's to be continued, and they say... Last time on, kind of that, so last time on Third John. What we see is a, <laughs> thanks, didn't expect people to laugh there. <clears throat> the man writing this letter, Third John, is the same man who wrote First John and Second John, the same man who wrote the Gospel of John, the same man who wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, this man is not John the Baptist, don't confuse him with John the Baptist, but he actually was a disciple of John the Baptist. Up until about John chapter 137, when the Baptist points out Jesus as the Messiah, at which point this John, John the Elder, leaves the Baptist to follow the Messiah. He had a brother. His brother's name was James. Oftentimes you see them appear in a list together, James and John, James and John. Their father's name was Zebedee. Uh, Zebedee and his boys had a kind of a family fishing business. They had hired servants. It was somewhat prosperous, according to Mark chapter 1, verse 20. And so they're fishermen by trade. Interestingly enough, about John the Elder, church history tells us that he was the only one of Jesus' original disciples who died of old age. All the other disciples, according to church history, lived to die a martyr's death. Now keep in mind, Jesus was crucified around 33 AD. History tells us that this letter is written sometime around 90 to 95 AD, most likely from the ancient city of Ephesus, where John the Elder spent most of his life, toward the end of his life, prior to being uh, banished to the island of Patmos. So when he's writing this letter, he's a very, very old man. Very old man. One of the major themes of this letter is truth. The word truth in our English Bibles appears four times in the greeting, in the first four verses. It's a major theme that runs throughout this letter. As I said, John was originally a, a disciple of the Baptist, John the Baptist, before becoming a disciple of Jesus. One of the things we pointed out last week and learned is that Jesus gave, gave John and his brother James the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Kind of a cool nickname, the Sons of Thunder. And John lived up to this name on more than just one occasion. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, Jesus and his disciples are passing through a Samaritan village. The Samaritans, for whatever reason, do not want to receive Jesus nor his followers. And the elder John and his brother James at the time were very set off by this. So much so that they look to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and just kill them all right now? Because we'll do that. Um, that's, that's this guy who's writing this letter. He's passionate. Passionate about the truth. About what's right. And no surprise here that this is a major theme throughout. He opens this letter writing to a man named Gaius, a man who we virtually know nothing about. There are several Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament. However, it's really difficult to say with any degree of certainty which Gaius this was, because in the Greco-Roman world at this point, Gaius was one of the most popular names. But we do seem 
to know and understand that the elder John seems to personally know Gaius. Gaius seems to be a leader, maybe even a pastor, a prominent figure within one of the local churches, most likely somewhere in Asia Minor. And the elder in the greeting commends Gaius. He commends Gaius because Gaius is in the truth like the elder. He is faithful to the things that are true concerning Jesus Christ. In a world that says truth can be whatever you want it to be, truth is relative. Truth was just as important in the ancient world here as it was and is today. And so he writes this letter in the first four verses in the greeting. He commends Gaius because he's in the truth. And then he tells us how he knows that he's in the truth. And typically this is where, you know, someone says, all right, I hit on this really hard because I think it's so important. This is where someone says, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm in the truth. Really? Why? Why why do you say that? I always like to ask people. People tell me. You say, I'm a Christian. I always say, well, oh, cool, me too. Why why, why is it that you say that you're a Christian? You'd be surprised the answers you get. My one friend, Josh Tancordo, used to challenge me because I'd go and I'd share the gospel with someone. They'd say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'd be like, oh, cool. He said, no, next time they say that, just ask them. Say, what do you mean by that? And I started doing that. And the answers I got majority of the time, proved that that person was not a Christian. Gaius is commended because, like the elder, he is in the truth. He is believing true things that concerning Jesus Christ, and that really matters a lot. A lot, a lot. But the elder knows that Gaius is in the truth because apparently these brothers, traveling missionary types, have come and stopped and stayed with Gaius in his city at his house. They live with him. And then they came and left Gaius, gave a report to the elder John and said, that guy Gaius, it is so well with his soul. Spiritually, he's he's doing so well. Not just because he says he is, but because it's so evident that Jesus has changed his life. And that sets us up for verses 5 to 8. Verse 5. Beloved, the elder is addressing Gaius here. It's the third time he's called him beloved. In the original language, this conveys a a very uh, intimate uh, sense. Uh, It can also be translated, dear friend, beloved Gaius. It's a faithful thing. It's a faithful thing you do, Gaius, in all your efforts for these brothers Strangers as they are, you may remember. The elder knows that he is doing so well, that he's in the truth. As the brothers say, he's not just in the truth, he's walking according to the truth. That is, Gaius is living out, he's living out the things that he believes. And so here, verse 5, more commendation. From the elder to Gaius, it's a faithful thing you do, and all your efforts for these brothers, strangers... Strangers as they are. We learn a little bit about these brothers here. And the fact that Gaius didn't know them at all. Other than the fact that they loved Jesus, didn't know them at all. Oftentimes it's hard or challenging. Can be. To show love to people that we don't know. Real easy to make excuses. 
Or said another way, it's easy to show love, Christian hospitality, generosity to people we do know. Because you don't, know right? Gaius doesn't know these people. It's a faithful thing you do, guys, strangers as they are. And all your efforts for them, more than just maybe one thing that he was doing, hospitality, generosity, whatever, whatever it may have been. Yeah, it's, 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 I think it is easy, or easier, because it's more comfortable, because I know them. But what about going out of your way to help someone that you don't know? Now, in the context, he doesn't know them, but they're Christians. That's all he knows. What about then? What about then? Lots of applications, I think, could be made there. From even in this setting. Right before you break for intermission, you see somebody maybe sitting by themselves in a pew. You've never seen them before. Do you go talk to them? Ask them to sit next to you? That's Christian hospitality. At a very, very minute level. Verse 6. Who testified to your love? Who testified to your love before the church, Gaius? The who refers back to the brothers in the greeting. The brothers, that's the who. They came, they testified to your love before the church. As I said earlier, these brothers came, they stayed with Gaius, they lived with Gaius. They know Gaius is walking in the truth. They know that he's walking in the truth. Walking was a common metaphor, as we said last week in the New Testament, for the manifestation of one's life. It's evident. It's obvious. They live with him. Okay, It wasn't just somebody who says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm in the truth. No, they live with him. It was, it was so clear. So they came back after staying with Gaius. They gave a report to the elder, and apparently they, they gave a report to the entire church. And said, Gaius, oh, yeah, he's doing well. We, we, we just spent some time with him. It is well with his soul. Spiritually, he is as he ought to be. He is as he ought to be. Then he says, in verse 6, the elder says, You, referring to Gaius, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. This gets a, a little confusing in our English, how the, the word structure is pieced together, because it almost seems like he's saying, send the brothers who just left you, send them on their way. Well, how do I send them on their way if they already came and left? The implication here from the end of verse 6 is that the elder's expectation for Gaius is that he continues to do this. Perhaps Gaius lives like on a, on a major highway or thoroughfare, whatever. We don't know what, what church he's a part of, what city he's a part of, but for whatever reason, the elder expects that more brothers, more traveling ministers, the gospel, missionaries, whoever they were, that they're going to keep coming, and the Gaius will have the opportunity to show and demonstrate his faithfulness to more of these brothers, strangers as they are. 
That's why he says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. You will do well. Uh, in the language, it's really just a polite please. It's like a polite request. You will do well to do this, guy. It's like, please, like, do this. Or maybe, said in other words, uh, keep doing this. Keep doing this, guys. Some of you in here are some of the most generous, hospitable, caring, giving people I know. You're very much like Gaius. You have much in common with him. And I can only imagine that perhaps at times you may feel discouraged. Am I making a difference? I'm trying so hard to be like Gaius. I, I wonder if I'm making a difference. I wonder if anybody even notices. Not that it's about that, but, but am I making a difference? Am I making an impact? Oh, beloved, I think the elder would say to you, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts to care for these brothers, strangers as they are. You don't know them. It doesn't stop you from loving them, from showing hospitality giving your time to them, giving your resources to them. Some of you guys in here, you're very much like Gaius. And I would encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. I don't know if you're dealing with discouragement right now, some of you. I don't know what's going on in your hearts. If it's been a tough week, tough month. But for those of you who share much in common with Gaius, keep doing what you're doing. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Please keep doing this. Why? Because it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers, as they are. Then there's the, the flip side of that. Some of us who were in the truth... At least we say we're in the truth. But it's less clear, a lot less clear, that we're actually walking in the truth. And it's not very well with our souls right now. Spiritually, we're maybe not where we ought to be. We're not really like Gaius. We're more like this other guy who we're going to see next week. So what then? Well, here's the advice the elder gives us in verses 7 and 8. The elder is going to give three reasons why we ought to be like Gaius. And you would do well to listen. First reason, verse 7. Why we ought to be like Gaius. Why we ought to support brothers like these, strangers as they are. Verse 7 for they have gone out for the sake of the name. The they in verse 7, for they, referring back to the brothers. For they, the brothers, have gone out for the sake of the name. Why are they doing the things that they're doing? What's the motivation of the brothers? It's not to get $60 million to buy a new private jet. That's not their motivation. Their motivation is not to build an empire for themselves. Why should we support people like these? The first reason, 
for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Their entire motivation is to make Jesus Christ supreme and known throughout the world. That's it. Why am I doing this? So God will be glorified. We want, we want people to know about this man named Jesus. We want people to know the gospel, this blood-bought, blood-saturated gospel. That's what we want. That's why we're doing this. We want people to understand that there's a problem and, and sin's the problem. You don't have a self-esteem problem. You have a sin problem. That's, that's the problem. And sin keeps us from a holy, pure, righteous God. And God's also a just God. People say, oh, well, he's a loving God. He wouldn't send people to hell. No, he's a just God. And he demands a penalty and a payment for that And so he sends his son lives a perfect life, dies a sacrificial death on the cross, is buried, and then three days later, raises from the grave, conquering sin, conquering Satan, conquering death, proving that he was who he said he was. So, number one, why always support people like these? Because their whole motivation is for the sake of the name that Jesus Christ might be made supreme and known throughout the world. Why? Because people are dying and going to hell. Recognize the urgency. As you break apart and and separate yourself from that boy, that girl, that class, that job, that, that TV show on Netflix, people are going to hell. That's the reality. The stakes are high. The urgency should, should be equally high. So why... The elder would say, why should we support people? Because first and foremost, they do everything for the sake of the name. What's the second reason? The second reason is this. The end of verse 7 says, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So why ought we, why ought we support brothers like these strangers as they are? Because they don't take anything from anybody else. They don't, they don't take anything from anybody else. Part of the reason is because it's kind of a conflict of interest. One of the reasons why Paul was so adamant about paying pastors and preachers and teachers, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Corinthians 9, and yet in his own life, he was worried about taking any type of help or compensation so that no one could say, oh, you're just mooching off of us. Right? You share the gospel. Oh, can I have a place to stay? Oh, I need some food. Oh, I need some money. So there'd be no conflict of interest. Second reason that the elder tells us that we should support brothers like these is because the Gentiles, that is non-Christians, aren't. The, the Gentiles aren't supporting them. They're not taking anything from the non-Christians. And this is where people, they always have excuses like a mile high. And I always tell people, listen, if you're looking for an excuse, whatever it may be, why to tune me out right now? Why, why not to do this or this? If you're looking for an excuse, you'll find it. So many excuses. You'll find it if, you, if you're looking for it. People say, oh, well, just let somebody else help them. Let somebody else help them. 
Oh, you know, it's okay. Someone else will get to it. No, there is nobody else. There is no plan B. Why should we help them? Because they don't take compensation from anybody else. That's why we should. Because if we don't help them, no one else will help them. That's the reality of it. And so he says this then. Verse 8. Therefore, therefore we ought to support people like these. Therefore we ought to support people like these. We ought to help people like these. For this reason. And people say, well, that doesn't mean me. We always love to think that we're the exception to the rule. Especially when we see parts of Scripture that we don't like. We, in the original language here in verse 8, is grammatically emphatic. And then he says, we ought. Ought, it speaks in the original language of a term of obligation. So we, we, we ought to do this. It's not so much as uh, when you read it, we say, oh, well, we, we ought to do this. As perhaps the tone that the elder would have said is, we ought to do this. Ought we not? Like We ought to do this. You don't remember what he said, beloved, in verse 5. It's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts. We ought to do this because it's a good and faithful thing. Let's do it. Third reason why we should support brothers like these, strangers as they are. Third reason is, as he says at the end of verse 8, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That we may be fellow workers for the truth. You may not go to the unreached Nations, the unreached people groups in your lifetime. You may never leave this country. You may never go into any inner city and, and start a church plant. Or in a town with lots of dead, dying churches. You may never do that. But the elder tells us that when we do, that when we do, it's as if we go anyways. When we are faithful like Gaius, in all our efforts supporting, helping brothers like these, strangers as they are, it's as if we're going anyways. That's, that's why. Those are the reasons. I remember meeting uh, kind of a modern day Gaius. He was here earlier this morning, Pastor Bill of the Methodist Church. We started Lynchburg City Church back in August of uh, 2013, just over three years old. And for the first nine months, we met in the prayer chapel. You were there, Eb, you remember. We met in the prayer chapel on Liberty's campus. It wasn't the prayer chapel that you see today. It was Gen 1 prayer chapel. Um, we had no, no heat, no air conditioning. Apparently there's Wi-Fi there. We didn't have Wi-Fi. We had no bathroom. We met there because that's all we could find. It's the only place we could find. They said, you can meet there. Then, fast forward from August of 2013 to the end of May 2014, it went under construction to the prayer chapel that you know it now today, Gen 2. And I was told, as I was trying to find a space for Lynchburg City Church to meet, that, well, you can meet somewhere, but they told me, you got to pay 200 bucks a week. And I said, 200 bucks a week? So we don't even take in $200 a month. I said, we can't do that. I'm sorry. Is there any way? Nope. And so for two months, 
Lynchburg City Church was homeless, summer of 2014, and we met at the American Legion. I am an Army Reserve Chaplain, and I have a membership there, and, and so we met at the American Legion for two months. We joke. Some of you guys know the joke, but I'll say it for the new people. I always tell people, we went from having no heat, no air conditioning, no bathroom, to no heat, no air conditioning, no bathroom, no walls. We had no walls. Just had a metal tin roof, and sometimes it would rain, and it would be pinging, and I have to preach a little louder, but that was, that was doable. Um, and then I kept calling and just asking people, we need help, can you help us? Pastor Bill was like, oh, yeah, we'd love to help. So we can't afford much. He said, don't worry about it. And we started meeting here. People said, why do you guys meet in a Methodist church? You're Methodist? No, I'm not Methodist. We were strangers. I met Gaius, modern-day Gaius, and he helped us, despite many people putting pressure on him not to help us. That's, that's the reality. He took some heat. He took some heat for helping us. And we'll see more about what that looks like next week when we introduce uh, the evil diatrophies to the story. We ought to do this. We ought to support brothers like these, strangers as they are. We ought to do this. And this looks different. These applications, whether it's hospitality, time, money, resources, we ought to help. And yet for many of us, we're not like Gaius. It's not well with our soul, but we have lots of excuses why we can't. A lot of excuses. Let me just tell you right now, I don't care what your excuses are. God doesn't care what your excuses are. God cares about your obedience and commitment to Him. Or have you not heard that it was said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments? If you love me, you'll obey me. Things Jesus did say. That's John 14, 15. He doesn't care about what excuses you have, why you can't. Like, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too busy, I got this, I got that. doesn't care. That's why I don't care. I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you the truth. Because like the elder, I'm very passionate about what's true and what's right. And some of you, it's not well with your soul. Spiritually, you're not where you ought to be right now. And you're just filled with excuses for why you're the exception to the rule and why you can't be like Gaius right now. And not always, but many times, this oftentimes has to do with when we think about support and how we can help the brothers, strangers as they are. Yes, it's hospitality, certainly. It's time, it's energy, it's resources, it can also be money, and I think money oftentimes is the application we think of the most, and because it is, I'll, I'll address that right now. People often tell me, well, Joe, if I had more, I'd give more. I call my old college buddies up. I went to Liberty 05 to 09, so many of the guys I knew in undergrad, they're successful um, in their own careers. I call them up. One of my, one of my friends drives a... A $50,000 Corvette convertible. Call him up. Hey, can you help? Can you help the church out? Is there anything you can do? Anything. I'll take anything. Can you help? 
and, and whether it's this guy or just other people in general, oftentimes what I hear is, well, you know, if I had more, I'd give more. And that just isn't true. Think about the woman with the two copper coins. She gave it, she gave it all. She gave it all. There's a story that John MacArthur tells that I think really captures the excuse that people often give for why they can't be like Gaius, why they can't be loving and hospitable and generous and sacrificial. Tells a story. Tells a story of a, a pastor who goes to see a farmer. He says, Mr. Farmer, I've got a real need. I want to help these brothers. Can you help us? Oh, oh, pastor, I'd love to help you, the farmer says, but... You know, if I only had more, I'd give more. Pastor says, well, farmer, let's just pretend you had $20,000. Would you give half of it to the Lord? The farmer says, Mr. Pastor, if I had $20,000, oh yes, I'd give half of it to the Lord. I'd definitely do that. He says, well, if you had $10,000, would you give half to the Lord? And the farmer tells the pastor, if I had 10000 I'd give half to the Lord. And, and the pastor and the farmer kind of work things out, go a little by little lowering them out. And then finally the pastor says to the farmer, he says, Mr. Farmer, if you had two cows, would you give one to the Lord? And the farmer says, pa- Pastor, that's, that's not fair. You know that I have two cows. So no, I don't buy into that. Well, if I had more, I'd give more. Whatever more is, whether it's money or time or energy. Excuses keep us from spiritually being where we ought to be. It does. Excuses, reasons, they keep us from where we ought to be, like Gaius. Oh, that we might be like Gaius. This this man who is commended by the elder, not just because he's in the truth, but because he is walking in the truth. It's so evident in his life, guys, that Jesus Christ has changed him. It's so evident. It's so obvious. Like, the elder commends Gaius, not simply because he believes true things, but because he lives out the things he believes. That we might be like him. Why? First and foremost, because... They're doing it for the sake of the name that Jesus Christ might be made supreme and known throughout the world. The second reason, because they don't take and accept anything from the people they're ministering to. Which means if we don't help in whatever way we can help, they're not going to get the help they need. Like, if we don't help them, no one's going to help them. And the third reason is when we do help and do support such people, it's as if we're with them ourselves. It's as if We're there with them. That we might be like Gaius. Some of you are. Some of you aren't. Just the truth. You can think that you are. Say, well, he doesn't know. I I, I am. And like argue with me like silently right now. Whatever. But some of you, I think, honestly, you just need to repent. You say, God, help me to be more like Gaius. There's some areas in my life and I am not walking in this way as I ought to be. And others of you who are, I want to encourage you, as the elder encouraged Gaius, keep doing what you're doing. 
Look for more opportunities to do, to help, because it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. So as the band comes, I'd like to pray right now. God, we love you. You're a good God. You're a great God. And help us to remember the story tonight from 3 John. Help us to be like Gaius. It's a struggle. It really is hard sometimes. And I know desperately that many of the people in here want to be like Gaius, especially some of those who, honestly, they're not right now. It's not well with their soul. Spiritually, they're kind of missing the mark a little bit in certain areas. Perhaps like Christian hospitality or generosity or sacrificial giving. I'm not sure. But I ask that you'd help them, God. That you would grant us a heart of repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. That you, Father, you'd make us more like your son. And for the other group in here, that it is well with our soul, despite the things we're dealing with or going through or have been, for those people, I just pray that they'd feel, they'd feel close to you right now, that they'd be encouraged as the elder encouraged Gaius, that you would encourage them. For it is a faithful thing, beloved, you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Amen.